Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. We start today with yet another action-packed week in Trump. We'll begin with Donald Trump's so-called university, founded as the Trump Wealth Institute in 2005, later called the Trump Entrepreneur Initiative just before it shut down in 2010. A number of dissatisfied customers sued, and on May 27th, U.S. District Court Judge Gonzalo Curiel granted a request by the Washington Post for public release of some internal Trump University documents, documents that made it pretty clear what a true and utter scam Trump's university was. Now, Trump reacted by suggesting that Judge Curiel's Mexican heritage means that he has a conflict of interest in all matters Trump-related, since Trump wants to deport millions of illegal immigrants from Mexico and build his big, beautiful wall that he claims Mexico will pay for. So, Although we, we should note the judge would not be one of the ones who would be deported. No, yes, he, he At actually... At under the current proposal. Yes, it's only people who are actually were not born in this country. He was born in, I believe, Indiana. Indiana. So that makes him an American still. Um, so well, what did you make of all this, Jay? Um, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff going on here. And, and, and on first, I'd say, uh, as someone who works in the law... Uh, I would typically advise clients not to attack the judge, uh, particularly uh, not to make uh, attacks based on their ethnic heritage. Um, usually, and usually, you don't have to tell clients that. Seems like sound <laughs> advice. Yes, yeah. You know, it's, that's that's one of those they they don't even need to teach you that in law school. Um, you know, uh, on a more serious note, uh, it, it's troubling when when there's. Uh, the sort of disrespect towards the judiciary. Um, there are, are plenty of judges uh, that uh, I've disagreed with uh, over the years, plenty of judges I disagree with uh, now on, on things. Uh, and it's it's one thing to say I respectfully disagree with uh, that ruling or I think you got it wrong. Uh, I believe we will prevail on appeal. You know, all that there, there's, there's a way to do this. Um, but if you're going to make claims that a judge is biased against you, uh, that's pretty. That's pretty significant, uh, and and you really need to have facts to back it up. Uh, and if you're going to make claims, even go one step further that he's biased against you because he's Mexican, um, or or of Mexican heritage. I actually, yeah, Trump right. says he's Mexican again. He's he's from Indiana. Um, that 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 again. It's it's unpresidential. It's it's uh, undignified. Uh, it's you know, you know it troubles me to. Uh, you know, as an as an attorney, uh, you know, like I said, I I, I may think uh, a lot of decisions uh, may be um, ideologically based uh, that I disagree with them. I may have, again, I would say uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, uh, I think she gets a lot of stuff wrong, but but I wouldn't say that she's, um, uh, you know, again saying saying someone is biased. And sure, it's 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 just really. It's troubling. I'm, I'm well, struggling. Well, there are two, there are two phrases there that you mentioned. Uh, respectfully disagree, 
and have facts to back it up. And those are two things that I would not associate with Donald Trump even a tiny little bit. He almost never respectfully disagrees with anyone. When he disagrees, he likes to, likes to point out that they're a real beauty or they're, uh, they're stupid or they're a sleaze or they're somehow a hater. And he almost never, you know, brings up facts to back anything up. He's all about innuendo and uh, and the angry tweet and so forth. And you know that that so to me, it's 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 disturbing as well. But it's not surprising at all. This is typical Donald Trump. And and to me, the reason why he reacted so strongly is this information that came out is really damning. This is some awful stuff. Yeah. It it really you know, it makes it clear that this was a way to scam the so the the regular people that Donald. Trump Trump claims he's here to he's here to help, and, and so right. I can no, understand. No, I, I, I get that. I guess my my question is again, it would be damning for for most anyone else in the world. Sure. Okay, um, <clears throat> but do you think um, there are any Trump supporters, Trump true believers, who will uh, read this and now say, "Oh, you know what? I can't support this guy. I'm going with Hillary, or I'm staying home." No, and I think that's that's why t- Donald Trump is so brilliant in the sense that he understood that all you have to do is get the narrative out there that this is just another attack uh, from the Obama-appointed immigrant elite who hate me and want to stop me, and his supporters are going to buy into that 100%. Absolutely. So, no, I don't think, I don't think it's going to have any effect on his supporters, but I think where it has an effect potentially is on the people who are sort of on the fence. And a lot of people to this point really haven't started to play close attention. And this is just a great thing that Hillary Clinton can use in the general election campaign. There's there's a gold mine of stuff there that suggests that Donald Trump is kind of a sleaze. And not just a sleaze, but a sleaze who has you know, taken advantage of regular hardworking Americans. And I think that that could be that could be gold for her. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I look, I, I I agree with you on the the, the point that uh, yeah, this certainly shows that he's a sleaze. Uh, I disagree on the political effect of it. I I think a lot of this has been sort of factored in, of uh, is, you know, supporters will either either say uh, one they don't believe it because it's uh, it is just a product of the you know uh, people who hate Trump, or they'll say yeah, so what. Um, He's still gonna. He's still going to uh, um, uh, sort of upend the cart, which is what uh, what needs done. Now, uh, something else though, I, I do want to say, and, and which troubles me a, a little bit. And what the judge did uh, was unusual in that you had records that had been sealed and then they were unsealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I think there's I think there's an argument that could be made. Um, that look, I don't know that this is appropriate, and and maybe it's it's um, uh, you know uh, partisan and so forth. I don't think Trump made that argument. No. and again, there's a respectful way you can you can make that. Um, but that's the but, bro- that's the brilliant thing about Trump, right? He he could have made that argument, but that would have been the thing that would have fallen so flat in the media. It wouldn't have been nearly the story. Wouldn't have worked up his folks nearly as much. Well, as Well, I agree. He did. It, it would it would have been a yes. We disagree with the judge. We believe those records should have been sealed. They contain Trump uh, business secrets, uh, trade secrets. Uh, they had been sealed before, and and there really is no reason to do that. And. Voters should uh, make up their own minds as to the the reasons uh, why the other side – and I wouldn't go after the judge. I'd go after the other side, yeah. why the litigants uh, you know, sought uh, – or, or the, the uh, uh, folks who sought to have these records unsealed. It wasn't just litigants, I think. I think it was a lot of folks. Um, you, you know, I think you could, you could have made that case. Now, the, then the counter case, of course, for releasing them is 
when the suit was brought, Trump wasn't um, the presidential contender he is now. Exactly. And this, this information that really would not have had much public interest uh, does at this point. Pretty clearly, yeah. So, yeah. so like, like I said, I mean, I, I could see where from a legal perspective, the Trump Trump camp could have a legitimate gripe. Um, uh, but that's this isn't how you do it. And it's uh, like I said, I think you're right. He's playing up this um, uh, the immigrant yeah. <laughs> piece yeah. just just to, to rile up his own his own folks. Yeah, you know, there was another interesting sidelight, this, at least as far as I was concerned, that uh, a number of state attorneys general were looking at. Trump University, uh, and two of them in particular in Texas and Florida were considering pursuing a case against it, but ended up dropping that case and, and fairly soon thereafter got uh, pretty fat campaign contributions from Donald Trump. So I guess he takes care of his friends. Uh, but that doesn't, again, not surprising. He's been on the record very, very blunt in saying, hey, you give them money and they do what you want. You know, I'll give to anyone. So uh, yeah. But yeah. But anyway, um, uh, no, notably also, I, I when we're talking about Trump um, last week was the Paul Ryan uh, endorsement or, or quasi endorsement. Um, and and there are many conservatives who are sort of uh, lowering their heads in shame. Uh, I, I think that's probably what Paul Ryan had to do as Speaker of the House. Uh, there's, you know, what to to not endorse your party's candidate. uh Sooner or later, he he had to do it, um, uh, and and again, it, it points out one of the the big ironies I think of politics that people don't think about is uh, the more the more powerful you are in in many ways, it's also the the more constrained you are. Unless um, you're Donald Trump, yeah. Like, well, yeah. unless you're Donald Trump, and I guess it remains to be seen how how really powerful he is. Yeah, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it, it becomes sort of a an issue of the higher you go up, uh, the more. Uh, the more you are bound to, to various other duties and responsibilities and obligations. And if, if you define power as being able to do whatever you want, um, sure. you know, in this case, the Speaker of the House did not have that, that power. Well, I, now, I, what, now, what Paul Ryan did do uh, is, you know, the, the endorsement was, you know, uh, tepid, tepid uh, at best. It was sort of, you know, he's better than the alternative. Uh, and then he came out a few days later uh, criticizing Trump for the statements uh, about, about the the judge. Uh, the judge in the court. And, and I think that's that's maybe the right thing to do uh, for for Paul Ryan is to say, look, I, I suppose Trump is better than the alternative. Uh, but as situations arise to to still stand up and say, no, look, this is this is not the right way to go and and, and do what you can to to sort of. I don't. I don't know what you even want to call this. Play the responsibility card. I mean, that's sort of uh, a bizarre thing to say. And and again, it it will not appeal to a lot of people. There are plenty of people who will say this is the establishment doing what the establishment does. Um, well, I think the but, way I think the way he did it was really smart because uh, in his in his endorsement he. He essentially said, listen, my my people in the House, we're going to come out with some conservative legislative proposals, the sort of things that we would want to get passed under a Republican president. And we know for a fact that Hillary Clinton will not support our conservative legislative agenda. We think, I think that having met with Donald Trump, that he will support it. And so, I mean, that to me is a reasonable case for for doing that, he's he's absolutely right. Hillary Clinton absolutely will right. not. She's going to veto everything. Trump, yeah. well, might probably not. not. So, <laughs> I mean, I think it was it was it was a smart idea for Paul Ryan to kind of couch that in terms of 
who will advance our legislative agenda. Not about his personality, whether he likes him or anything like that, but who's going to sign the bills as opposed to who's going to veto them. And so that made a lot of sense to me. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is uh, Trump's big freak out at the media when reporters dared to question whether or not that rally he held in January when he skipped the Fox News debate for the veterans, whether it actually raised the $6 million that he claimed he did for the veterans. It didn't, by the way. It was uh, slightly right. short of that. And also whether he personally donated a million dollars of his own money to veterans. And OK, he did, but only after getting called on it by the media. You know, and you know, it reminded me of that. Look, old, he's, look he's a busy man. He can't, have, yeah. you know, he don't always remember to write checks all the time. Yeah, well, I'm sure that that was guy. that was absolutely it. But you know, there's that old saying about the media: don't pick a fight with people who buy ink by the barrel. Um, I, I'm wondering if that even holds true for Donald Trump. What do you think? Uh, no, I, I I sort of don't think it is. In that he's he's running against the media, and as with the Trump University, I don't think. Uh, that is going to, to change the mind of, of supporters uh, of his. I don't think anyone's going to jump to the other side. Um, people who are on the fence, maybe. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think part of his appeal is he gets beat up by the media. Yeah, well, and, and I agree, but I think that's a great that's a great approach to have a, a strong base of very enthusiastic supporters who lead you to a crushing defeat in the general election. <laughs> Well, hey, I'm all for that. I wanted to keep on doing that. That's that's fine as far as I'm concerned, because I think what we're starting to see is as he is now the presumptive nominee, and especially this will happen post-Republican uh, convention, the scrutiny is only going to get a lot tougher. And it's pretty clear that despite his protestations to the contrary, he is very thin-skinned. He is very vindictive. And I think it's just going to end up hurting him more and more. I expect to see his negatives go up as much more quickly than Hillary Clinton's do, and and I you know I stick with my prediction that she's going to win well in excess of 300 electoral votes, and uh, I you know I'm I'm fairly certain that the Democrats are going to take the Senate, and at this point I wouldn't be stunned if they came pretty close to taking the House back as well. Yeah, the uh, I I think you're right that the media scrutiny will increase, or maybe not the the scrutiny, but the the media uh, attacks, and that's going that sounds sort of sort of. Uh, off base a little bit because you're going to say, well, well, most people would say, well, geez, they've been the media has been terrible towards Trump. Uh, I, again, I don't, I don't think the real, <laughs> the real uh, hard stuff. Uh, I think the, I don't think the hard stuff is going to come down for a while yet, uh, as as Bill Murray uh, said. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it's kind of like the media had uh, the John McCain effect. Uh, he was sort of the media darling until he was he was nominated. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, the media sort of loves having Trump as the nominee because again, he certainly sells paper or gets people to, to click, um, uh, click stories. Uh, but they certainly don't want him as president and you're going to see the, the full court press, uh, as, as we move forward. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the attacks have been getting uh, stronger from Hillary Clinton as well. Uh, this this last week, she came out with uh, what was billed as a major foreign policy address, but really was much more of kind of a series of zingers directed against Trump, which focused, in my view, pretty much on his emotional and psychological lack of fitness. Yeah, exactly. A temperament thing. Yeah. Uh, to be especially to be uh, to direct our foreign policy and to be commander in chief of the armed forces, including, as she pointed out, the nuclear forces. You know, I think that's the question that she wants to plant in everyone's mind. Do you want this guy to have his finger on the button? Now, before we get into that, I want to point out that 
to maybe calm some people's nerves a little bit. Donald Trump cannot actually launch the nukes himself. The United States has what's called a two-person rule at every level for nuclear launches, which at his level, if he were elected president, would mean that there would need to be authorization from both uh, Donald Trump and his secretary of defense, and then there would need to be dual authorization all the way up and down the line. So it's not like the briefcase is a big red button that he just you know pushes or something like that. So I wanted people to rest easy about that, at least a little easier. I guess a lot would depend on who he picked for his secretary of defense well, and whether or not they'd be confirmed. But they have to be confirmed. So, you know, there'd, there'd be that. So, uh, so I don't know. What did you think about Hillary Clinton's remarks? Uh, you know, again, it's, it's not surprising. Um, it's, uh, I, I, you know, as far as Hillary, Hillary Clinton speeches, and I, I don't watch a lot of them just, you know, because it's, it's hard. Um, but what I, what I did see of this, uh, I actually found myself, um, I don't want to say liking Hillary because that's that's no, not no. what I want to yeah, say. I know. Uh, but but it, it wasn't like the nails on the chalkboard uh, that that I frequently get when I'm I'm watching Hillary talk. Um, she she appeared more more presidential, I think. Uh, and again, it sounds weird because she's not saying presidential stuff; she's doing the campaign attack stuff. Uh, but but more so than when she comes across with the fake wide eyes and the fake smile and and all that. Um, so I, you know, I, maybe she was just having a good day. Maybe I would just sort of, uh, tended to agree with some of the things she was saying about, about Trump having the temperament, um, right. to conduct foreign policy. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know, but, um, you know, I, I guess it, it says something if, if I'm, if I'm, uh, agreeing with Hillary, my gosh. Yeah. 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 With, yeah. Or at least saying this Certainly. is, um, She's she's really you know really saying man I, I can't hard to argue with with that yeah and we should point out that Hillary is not Hillary Clinton is not yet the Democratic nominee there's a a big a big race coming up or a big election coming up on Tuesday in California which has 500 plus delegates though again we've said this before because of how the delegate rules work on the Democratic side she will. She will have the majority, no matter whether or not Sanders wins or loses in California. Right now, the polls have Clinton uh, with a little bit of a lead in California, though though Sanders has been closing that gap. And though I think still it's important, uh, I guess you could say maybe psychologically for Clinton to win, that's kind of Democratic stronghold state. It certainly weakens her if she can't win California. I think she'll probably squeak out of victory, but obviously she would have liked to have win by more than the maybe three or four percent that she. I think she's going to win by. Yeah. yeah. So, and, I, you know, the other thing is a little interesting on the Democratic side, and this this may be subject to just the the bias of of what you know comes across my newsfeed or, or you know stuff I hear, but. There was a little more Biden talk uh, bubbling bubbling around last week, uh, and, and I think that's I think that's interesting. Uh, I, I think in the wake of the IG report, there were some folks who are, uh, if not if not panicked, I don't want to say panicked. I don't yeah. think they're panicked, but concerned and uh, concerned enough to start thinking about maybe we need a plan B. Now, maybe nothing ever comes of this. Uh, but but I think it's interesting that there there was this this blip uh, in the media of huh how about Biden? Sure, yeah, 
And, and I think, well, I, I, again, I don't think anything's going to come of it. I just think it was just uh, yeah, you know, people looking to yeah sell papers and get clicks and all that kind of stuff. But one one thing you know I want to mention about the race that that hasn't been covered a whole lot. We've talked about it a little bit. Is the uh, importance of raising money? As we've said before, I think we've said before that it costs a lot of money to run for president, around maybe a billion dollars or so for for this cycle. And uh, at this point. Donald Trump's campaign is lagging the Clinton campaign pretty badly in terms of fundraising, and which isn't a surprise. The guy has no infrastructure for this sort of thing. At one point, in fact, in uh, the last week or so, there was uh, a group that supported Clinton, a super PAC, ran some ads against Trump. Apparently, the Trump folks called up the media, asked what the rates would be for their own uh, television ads, and they they got the amount and they never followed up on it. Presumably, I guess the suggestion is is because they didn't have the money to do that. And I think this is going to be a huge problem going forward. And really, the sort of again under the radar type of thing that makes a big that can make a big difference in the end that we're not going to hear a lot about because it's not very exciting to talk about. Yeah, uh, you know, that's sort of the, the whole problem of running as the outsider and, and Trump's campaign and not even being an outsider, but sort of assailing the establishment yeah. is uh, you sort of cut yourself off from a lot of uh, the establishment funders. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that in- infrastructure you said. Now, I, I think uh, people will give Donald Trump money uh, eventually, but it's it's going to be – he's going to have to make the case to them. He's going to have to sort of mend fences with people. Uh, he's going to have to uh, sort of make some promises. And I don't know whether he's he's going to yeah. be able to do that or uh-huh. know how to do that. And even so, as you say, he's he's sort of starting from behind yeah. in doing that. So, yeah, that's going to that's gonna be a factor. Yeah. And, you know, you know it, it's easy, at least easy for me to forget. I'm, I'm probably easy for a lot of people to forget that there are actually more than two political parties in the United States, more than two that are running – candidates for president that are going to be on ballots in most, if not all, the states. And I I want to point out that one of these so-called, we call them third parties in the U.S., uh, the Libertarian Party, they recently selected their presidential and vice presidential nominees. They had their national convention last weekend in Orlando, Florida. And I think their nominees are pretty interesting folks. They selected former Republican New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson as their presidential nominee and former Republican Massachusetts Governor William Weld as his running mate. And, you know, this makes the Libertarian ticket the only one with experience at running a government, though, of course, that could change if Trump or Clinton chooses a governor as their running mate. So what do you think, Jay, about Johnson and Weld, their chances in November, the impact they might have? I would say their their chances in November are uh, just about zero, and the impact they will have is probably just about zero. Um, I, for for a lot of reasons, um, first of all, the, the Libertarian Party, uh, as it as it stands, uh, and I don't know whether whether you saw any of the the other footage um, from the the Libertarian um, convention, um, but it's it's sort of. It, it's just, and I apologize because I, I feel strongly in a lot of ways. I think you characterize me as, as being libertarian on a lot of issues. Um, it was just sort of goofy. It was sort of you know, Comic Con meets a Star Trek convention yeah. meets a, a you know, it was, amateurish, geeky kind of not ready yeah. for prime time. Or we're used to that kind of slick, polished surface we see for the Democrats and Republicans, and the libertarians just aren't there. Well, not even not even not slick, but but just. Uh, Silly, I think yeah. a lot. I mean, I don't. Did you the the video of the guy who's running for chairman of the Libertarian Party where he stripped 
Oh, geez. Um, no, I, I missed that. Um, yeah, a fat guy stripping. Um, that was part of the – No one needs to that, see that. That was the guy running for chairman. <clears throat> now, again, he, he was sort of an outsider, I think. And, and, you know, but, but I <laughs> I'm think, not sure that he won. Um, but I think but, this year is a little different. So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Uh, and, and in that, I, they're not going to win any electoral votes. But they're probably going to be on the ballot of most, if not all, states. And even right now, the Libertarian, the Johnson & Weld, are polling in the mid-single digits in the few polls that have included them. Now, that's not enough to do anything. But let's say that they take away 3 4% of Trump's vote, which is absolutely possible. I think if they're going to draw votes from anyone, they'd probably draw votes from Trump. That could be enough in some battleground states to tip those states you know, toward toward uh, Clinton over Trump. We've seen the same sort of thing happen in the past. Ralph Nader ran in 2000 as the Green Party candidate, another third party, didn't do well at all, but he did well enough in Florida to tip Florida, take votes away from Al Gore to tip Florida toward uh, George W. Bush and give him the presidency. So I think in overall terms, they're not going to mean much, but I think they're, they're, they're going to be a bit of a help for Hillary Clinton, I think, in the end. I, 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 here's, no, here's where I disagree with you. Um, I don't think they take votes away from Trump. I think maybe they reflect votes that Trump never had. Uh, hmm. There will be sort of the dissatisfied, uh, you know, some, some conservatives may find a home there to vote, vote for these folks. Uh, other people will, will see it as sort of a none of the above choice. <clears throat> uh, but I don't know that they take votes away. I think those are people who either uh, we're just going to leave the, yeah. the space blank uh, or weren't going to show up in the first place. I, I see what you're saying. And, and I guess mm. to a certain extent, I agree that there's that's part partly what's going on. And so that's why I said even if they're polling six to eight, even they get up to 10 percent, I don't think they take away more than a few percent of Trump's vote. And maybe in some cases that will be enough. But one thing about the libertarians I want to point out is they're, they're fighting a battle right now, they're fighting a battle to get the publicity, to get on the stage for the general election debate. Now, right now, the rules say that you need to be polling at 15% in national polls to get on the ballot. What their argument is, and I think it's a pretty good argument, is that the rule should be that if you're on the ballot in enough states to theoretically win the 270 electoral college votes you need for the presidency, you should be included. I like that. I think it would be good and healthy to have them on that stage or to have, you know, to have Gary Johnson on that stage to present a very different perspective on government that people aren't going to hear otherwise. And this is not just some random nut. This is a guy who's governed a state. This is a guy who has something that I think is worth hearing that a lot of people should hear. And I, I hope they, I don't think they're going to prevail in, in that, in that argument, but I, I hope they do. No, I, I hope, well, you know, here's the thing. I, I would like to see a libertarian on the stage again for the, the reasons you just articulated. Um, but I, I think changing the rule, you also get into the, the numerous other third party uh, folks who who might be able to uh, to make it onto the stage, and you end up with with you know more sort of the free for alls that we saw in the early primary. So, I, I, yes, I'd love to see Gary Johnson up there. Um, uh, uh, no, I don't think it'll happen. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair point, but and that's why I think that that provision that they have to get on the ballot in enough states to get to 270, that's actually a lot harder than uh, some people may think it is. That's no small task. And so if you can well, get... It depends on the state. That's true. That's, but if you but you have to get on enough state ballots to get the 270 electoral votes, well, that's that takes some organization. That takes getting a lot of people to sign. And, and so I think that's a... I, there aren't going to be more than 
four parties that can do that. So it would be the Democrats, the Republicans, the Libertarians, and uh, the Green Party, though I don't Some think that they'd of, be yeah, able to Green, do that. Green, Ralph, nader Yeah, exactly. Sort of, but that yeah. would be it. That would be essentially it, and I think that would be great. Anyway, um, you know, there's more going on than just elections, and I thought we'd talk about a few of these non-election things that are going on. For instance, some not-so-great economic news this week. The May jobs report came out on Friday with the headline being a net gain of only 38,000 jobs, which is a pretty sharp reversal from the last few months. Now, the unemployment rate fell to 4.7%, which sounds really good, but that drop is mainly due to more people deciding to quit looking for work, leaving the job force, essentially. Uh, right. Now, that said, there are two somewhat bright spots. Number one, the jobs number is artificially low since the Labor Department counted the 35,000 striking Verizon workers as unemployed and they're back on the job now. And well, and secondly, average hourly earnings rose by 0.2% and that's a, a gain of 2.5% over the last 12 months they've, they've risen and that actually outpaces inflation over that same period. So the, the first look is that's not great, but you, you, you kind of pull back and it's not a horrible jobs report. Uh, in terms of kind of bringing this back to the election a little bit, uh, the conventional wisdom is that good economic news, a strong economy helps the incumbent party and uh, a weak economy conversely tends to help the challenger. And in this case, it's not like we have exactly a strong economy, but certainly things are slowly trending upward and have been for a while. And so I don't know how much that helps Clinton, but it certainly doesn't hurt her. Uh, agreed. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt her. Uh, I think that. I think though that the jobs reports and, and unless there's some sort of you know huge economic boom over the summer, which I doubt, uh, it's not going to make a difference because people are still voting on the perception or the feeling, uh, and and the the feeling that that both Trump uh, and and Sanders have played up on and, and Hillary to some extent is that. To the extent there have been has been a recovery, it's been uneven, and the rich have gotten richer, uh, and and uh, you know the the little guys still getting screwed. Right. Um, Sometimes by Trump and I, I think I think a, a big reason for that is we can talk about you know where the Fed has been on on and so forth, and uh, you know and I think that that probably makes more of a difference in the the uh, inequality gap that that seems to concern a whole lot of people. Uh, doesn't concern me. Uh, but but it's it's been you know I think a, a, a lot due to the uh, easy money uh, that's that's been coming out of the Fed, um, which is it, it allowed the more wealthy to to get wealthier uh, pretty quickly and more more difficult for others, um, and that's sort of a separate issue. I'm just I'm just rambling there, but uh, I I don't think the uh, the jobs report changes fundamentally the way the election goes uh, because everybody's mad. A lot of people do, yeah, definitely. There is there is a lot of anger out there, absolutely, and I agree. I, agree. It's, uh, it's, I would have liked to have seen a better jobs report in terms of how it affects the election. I would say not a not a whole heck of a lot, and I don't expect to see any any you know huge economic growth spurts uh, until November, certainly. 
Okay. Um, you know, there was another, but at least I think it's an important story that didn't receive enough coverage this week, maybe because the media is too busy following Donald Trump's Twitter feed. I don't know. But it has to do with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. We've talked about them a little bit in the past. Uh, this week, the CFPB announced a regulation that would require the payday loan industry to verify customers' ability to pay back the loans that they're applying for and to limit the number of times people could roll over old loans into newer and more expensive loans. And now, on the surface, this may not seem like a big deal, but we're, if, if we're concerned about uh, the lower class and lower middle classes, this is that's, that's the segment of the population that the payday loan the folks, you know, appeal to these people who need to get a loan for two weeks until the next paycheck. This is a, a big industry, $46 billion industry, around 12 million borrowers a year. And these are, again, mostly low income Americans. So this is a big deal, I think. Uh, what do you think, Jay? You know, I'll tell you, I'm a little bit torn on this uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, you know, my sort of default position would be uh, you know, the government ought to just let the market uh, work its, you know, go ahead and, and work. Uh, if people are going to have access to this capital, uh, it's going to have to be at an increased rate just because of the increased risk that the um, lenders are taking. Um, ideally, I mean, you would think that uh, lenders would uh, take a look at their customers to make sure they could pay back the loan before they made the loan. Um uh, so, so maybe this doesn't uh, doesn't you know <laughs> well, change, well, well, let me let me know, change get, a lot as yeah. far as what these folks are doing. Um, but there is also, I, I think, there's sort of a conservative case to be made against uh, this type of, of of payday loans. One one is uh, just on the moral case, uh, in that uh, in some ways. Uh, these people are being taken advantage of. Yeah, you know, uh, to, it, it's kind of like Trump University a little yeah. bit. And to that point, let me just kind of put that into more concrete terms. Uh, a customer who borrows, say, $500 from one of these payday loan places, typically they would owe around five seventy-five two weeks later. That's an annual percentage rate of 391%. I mean, that's, that's, that's insane. And in fact, around a dozen states, well, more than actually a dozen states have set rules capping the amount, the, the APR for these payday loan places. And in some cases, some states have simply outlawed, outlawed them. But in, I think around 30 states, it's, it's pretty much a, a free for all, essentially. And so. Well, Ohio, Ohio just recently, and why recently, I mean, a couple of years ago. There's a cap. Um, passed a, uh, yeah, a cap and, and, a, uh, some other uh, payday loan regulations, and it was it was championed by my uh, my mentor and former boss, uh, House Speaker uh, Bill Batchelder, uh, who is probably one of the most conservative people you will ever meet in your life. Yeah, um, I, well, I mean, I think and 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 in, in doing this, he he uh, he sort of cited to Adam Smith, uh, who in the Wealth of Nations advocated uh, uh, for. Um, you know, usury limits, limits yeah, on yeah. Uh, on interest, because in in Adam Smith's view that uh, this will uh, this is a a, a legitimate uh, hedge uh, to to make sure that lenders uh, lend to prudent buyers and uh, that is better for the society as a whole. Yeah, and I mean you, again, that's that's Adam Smith talking. Yeah, no no crazy uh, bomb throwing liberal kind of person. Yeah, I mean when when you think about it in in those terms, and it I mean the moral argument it just seems like these people are desperate people are being taken advantage of and i think that's that's why so many states have have done something about that and so i'm i i can understand 
the counter argument that, well, if you put these regulations on, it means that the the prices for loans are going to be uh, or it's going to be more difficult to get credit to people who desperately need it for certain situations. And that's true. I don't dispute that. But I think when you weigh the pros and the cons of those people in certain situations who can't have access to funds and the harm that comes from that versus the harm that comes from people who get stuck in this just in this whirlwind of ever increasing debt because of these folks, I think it's pretty clear which side the scales weigh on. And so I think in, in balance, this is a good thing. Well, you know, there's there's also there's another alternative, and that is a lot of these um uh, sort of micro loan banks, um, uh, uh, the, the Shore Bank of Chicago sort of did this. So they start with uh, not-for-profit um, uh, credit extensions that that you can. There, I mean, there are other ways to do this that that aren't uh, predatory. At mm-hmm. this. Uh, and I do want to just because I, I pulled it up real quick, I just hit you with a little bit of what uh, Adam Smith said uh, in that golden year of 1776. Uh, he said, when the legal rate of interest on the on the contrary is fixed, but a very little above the lowest market rate, sober people are universally preferred as borrowers to prodigals and projectors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the 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 problem is that if you uh, allow uh, high high interest rates and uh, loose loose uh, loans, uh, a great part of the capital of the country is thus thrown in the hands in which it is most likely to be employed. Um, to be, oops, I, I said that wrong. I screwed it all up, Mike. Oh man. Um, um, the point being, his, his his point is his point is uh, that that capital is better to go to uh, better uh, payors uh, because they are going to do something better with it. Um, th- there's a little there's a little snobbery in there. I mean, the implication is they're not just going to blow it on uh, booze and hookers or something. But- so the point being, Adam Smith against payday loans. He would not be a big fan. I think it's safe to say in the end. Okay. All right. Well, I think that about does it for this week's episode. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys show, which comes out every Wednesday, we would love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. Our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week. Jay just posted something really interesting on a universal basic inst- uh, in- instinct income. You take a yeah, take a, a read at. Uh, it's at Facebook.com/slash/politicsguys page. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher. We'd really appreciate it if you could take just a minute to rate the show, write a quick review. That's the way that more people can find the show more easily. And finally, if you like what we're doing and want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a buck or two, the price of a Sakura five-piece pouch refill eraser with mechanical fixed sleeve would really help. You'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.